It's time for another edition of the Pumpkin Pile Drivers Podcast. With some jackass by the name of Big Bad Boris. Welcome to the Pumpkin Pile Drivers Podcast on the Love Wrestling Podcast Network. My name is Big Bad Boris. And before I get to my guest this week, I just want to talk about the kind of future of this project. I'm kind of retooling a little bit. I was very much focused on like finding fancy guests and doing big interviews, and it, it kind of got to be a struggle. So I, I've changed course. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to have some fun. I'm going to talk to my friends in the business about the business, and we're going to listen to some music, and that's what we're going to do. Joining me this week is a man, a myth. A legend, if you will, that I haven't talked to in a long time. Uh, a, a legend in professional wrestling rings here in Alberta and Western Canada. Mr. Dirty Duke Durango. Duke, what the hell's going on? Well, man, not a lot. You know, Just managing to kind of stay on the right side of the sod, dodging dodging bullets, and, you know, having some fun on the side when I can. Dodging bullets? Who's after you? The tax man, usually, you know. <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> You know, reaching deeper in all our pockets these days under the guise of saving us money somehow. Oh, see, I'm not, uh, I'm not Robert Ward. You won't get any of that politics stuff with me. <laughs> I'm just not yeah, smart. No. I'm, I'm not smart enough for it. That's all. Well, no, I just, you know, I'm one of those guys that constantly, you know, gripes about the cost of living going up. But it, you know, I don't. I think at this time it wouldn't matter who your government is. Your cost of living is going yeah. up, and we'll leave it. We'll leave it at that. I get enough politics in the locker room. You know what I'm saying? You've been there. Oh, yes, yes. You know what, man? I'll, I'll be honest with you. And unless I didn't see it, I know there were certain guys that would politic for position, but nothing major. And, and the fortunate thing we had is we had an office that, A, first of all, I was part of the office for a long time. So that made it a lot easier for me as far as politics go. <laughs> and, uh, and B, I mean, most of us knew that everyone around us, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, but. I kind of looked around the lock, locker room and thought everyone around me was at least as good, if not better. So there was no reason to, you know, like, you know, it wasn't like there was some shitty guy that had the belt. It was always like whoever had the belt or whoever's at the top was usually like, okay, well, he's good. He deserved to be at the top. So the, I never noticed a lot of politicking. Fair enough. So I want to ask you, do you miss it? Do you, do you still get the Jones to be around it, to be not even necessarily in the ring, but in the locker room with the boys in front of the crowd? Do you get that Jones still, or are you kind of at peace with everything? Oh, man. You know, I'm at, so I'm at peace at how I left. Do you know what I mean? I, I believe the time was right for me. Um, so I'm at peace with how I left. Am I? Do I miss it? Yeah, I, I think I can safely say I miss it pretty much every every time I think about it or, you know, pretty much on a daily basis anyways. Um, and what I really miss is, you know, what, what kind of one of the things you alluded to, I, do, I don't miss getting my ass kicked every night, but I, I definitely <laughs> miss hanging out with the guys like you. I miss seeing you, you know, every couple of weeks in a locker room or every week in a locker room or whenever, like it was just, you know, you felt like you were going to, you know, it, people say like you, you enjoy it because it won't last forever. And I'll tell you the last few years, it really dawned on me. So, I really, really, really tried to enjoy that time in the locker room. I mean, you'll notice when I first came back in 2013, you know, I was a little more intense than when I left in 2018 about how, you know, kind of how I was handling my business. Because, you know, by the time I was done, it was just sort of like, you know, I'm here to enjoy my time and try and, you know, if somebody wants to hear what I have to say or, you know, ask for some advice, more than happy to give it and, uh, you know, entertain what few fans were still interested in the wrestling style that I was putting out there. <laughs> When was the last time you went to a show? Oh, 
boy, I went to so I and you probably may or may not know. I, I have a little bit of a rapport with the guys on the morning show here in Calgary on CGN2, um, yeah. Jesse and JD. And, and I just, I think the absolute world of those two guys, um, what they do on the radio is hilarious, but also what they bring to our city. So I have a lot of respect for them. Anyways, um, they did my podcast. And so they were involved with the first, I could be wrong if it was the first dungeon wrestling show at Tool Shed yeah. Brewing. Um, yeah. here at Halloween in Calgary a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And so Jesse kind of threw out, hey, you know, I better see you at this event. So I, I supported the event and I, I, you know, I bought a ticket and went down with, um, you know, my wife and, and two other friends. And, and you know what? We had a good time. And, you know, I got to see a lot of some of the folks in the locker room and whatnot. And then, geez, I guess after that, it was the Saddle Dome show. You know, the uh, the last Bret Hart show. Oh, Okay. So other than that, like I don't go to shows. I can't. I can't. You know when when I left. You know I think I had a couple main event matches with you know myself and Steel versus um, BVD and MRB. They were really, really, truly you know perfect cherry on top to my career because I think it showed me that you know if I focused and wanted to do it, I could still be a main event guy and still could hang with those main event guys. But how my body felt after told me I should not <laughs> yeah. try to hang with those event guys. So I think I left at the right time, but I also know that I'm still, still you know, yeah, I have the aches and pains, but I'm still reasonably healthy. And I have that feeling if I went around too many times, and I don't know what that number would be, but you will get that. You'll get that. Geez, do I think I could still do it? Is there one more match in there? Or, you know, is there one more program? Or is there one more run? You know, and I, I just... I'm enjoying my life right now. Like yeah. I really am as much as I, as much as I still love wrestling and as much as I miss it, I'm really, you know, I'm making up for lost time socially. I'm, I'm doing, you know, seeing a lot of things that I didn't get to see for 20 years on the weekends, you know, it's the old bump card. Everybody talks about, there's only so many bumps on the card, you know? Yeah. And, and I, like I, some people are going to squeeze every bump they can out of that bump card. And I, and I, you know, I appreciate that, but I also, you know, for the money we were making as much as I loved it, it's also there's a certain amount of quality of life that I can't replace with that money we were making, you know? So, <laughs> you know, is my wife going to have to push a wheelchair? Maybe how early I guess would be the the real question. And I want to push that off as late as I can at this point. Of course. You know? well, I want to ask you about Bill Bell. Bill Bell recently passed well, away. Now I never worked for Stampede, yeah. so I don't know much about Bill Bell. I've heard he's a character. Do you have any stories or anything you can tell me and us about Bill Bell? You know, the, Bill Bell was one of a kind, man. He was kind of the last of the the last of the Wildcats, as far as I'm concerned. You know, him and him and BVD had a very, very special relationship. Um Bill Bell was an old coffee drinking, cigarette smoking. You know, cowboy boot wearing, you know, pickup truck driving, but he actually drove a minivan. Um, you know, he was a good old boy at heart. So for, and, for those don't who don't that. know, sorry, for those who don't know, kind of explain who he was and what his role was. Oh, yeah. Sorry, man. When I broke in with Stampede, they were looking for investors and um, they had a people that were investing in the original kind of in, or the incarnation of Stampede Wrestling around 19, you know, 97, 98, 99 when they were relaunching. And he was one of those guys that stuck a bunch of cash in. And so when things kind of went bust after the first run there, Bill Bill was into it for a fair amount, fair amount of money. And he was trying to do what he could to get his money out. So when Bruce and Ross kind of stopped promoting, Bill stepped in and he kept promoting Stampede Wrestling for the next 
boy, I want to say three or four years anyways, at least maybe five or six. You know, from two, I would say early, like 2001, 2002 through 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere around there. Basically till when TJ and Natty and them got signed. Yeah. You know, once I was gone, they were gone. I think that really, that was, you know, I think in a lot of ways he was keeping it running to give them somewhere to work so they could stay home and, you know, kind of do their thing here. And, and Bill was one of those guys, like he, um, he'd just come in the locker room and hand you $5. You know, what's this for? He'd say, well, I sold a shirt today. Well, I don't make shirts. Well, I got a t-shirt machine. I made a couple of your t-shirts one sold, so here's five bucks. You know, he was that kind of a guy, Okay. Right? Like he, yeah, and for a guy that I knew lost well over 50 grand in investment, that was just what I knew he was into his original investment, never mind what he was trying to do, you know, as I'll say, is maybe the most expensive hobby anyone ever had. Yeah. Um, next to car racing, I guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it was there was there there were times I knew his wife wanted him to hang it up and not promote wrestling anymore because he was just, he was losing his shirt. But, you know, he, he just loved doing it. And, I mean, a lot of people don't know, you'd never know, that Bill had any money from looking at him, but I know he sold a business and he was doing all right financially. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so he, Bill Bell, you know, he was also the kind of guy you'd go for breakfast with him and you'd be eating bread. He'd crush his breakfast really fast. Say, I'm just going to go for a smoke. And you'd, you know, he'd be outside smoking and you'd ask the waitress, say, hey, can I get the bill please? And she said, oh, that gentleman out there already paid the bill. Okay. You know, he was just one of those guys. Yeah. He'd never let you pick up a check. Like he, he just, you know, Bill was just one of those, his, spirit of generosity was really seconded to none. And I mean, I traveled a few trips with him and he had a lot of stories, you know, he was a young guy, grew up in the patch. So he lived, you know, he lived an exciting life and, um, you know, there were lines on Bill Bell's face and those from definitely were from a life well lived. And I, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there and that, you know, owe some of what they are and some of where they are to Bill Bell. And, and, you know, I'm not going to call anyone out or, you know, I'm not calling anyone out, but, you know, a lot of us, myself and TJ and Natty, Harry, um, you know, uh, Jinder Mahal, um, Raj Singh down in TNA, you know, yeah. Bill Bell and, and guys like Bill Bell and Kurt Sorokin, you know, I don't want to leave anyone out here, but Bill Bell in particular for me was, um, he had a real special place in my heart and he did everything he could, you know, to promote us and try and make Stampede Wrestling work. And it wasn't, you know, at the end, it definitely wasn't about getting his investment back. He knew that money was, you know, was long gone. Yeah, and He was just doing it because he loved, you know, he loved the people around the locker room. So I want to talk to you a bit about Stampede because I'm sure this has happened to you and it's happened to me a lot. And it just happened to me the other day. I'm trying to organize uh, a thing at my at work at the, at the shoot job as everyone likes to say uh you know for a bunch of them to come down to an lpw show and i you know, was talking to some of the guys about about the wrestling and as soon as you know people find out that i that you know i work in pro wrestling i'm sure this has happened to you you get the oh like stampede wrestling and i've never known how to answer that question like stand because like it's like the, it's like it's like a deity uh you know famous thing but also kind of a bit of an albatross in a weird way because like i don't know how to answer like like we have a ring and and we wrestle in it but like what how do you answer the question like stampede wrestling like i don't know if I'm explaining, was, i don't know if know. i'm explaining that in a way that makes no. sense but like you get it all the time because it was just such an institution or it's like i can't i definitely understand 100 what you're saying and even as somebody that worked in and i believe there were some people there are some people out there 
um, who would use the phrase Stampede Wrestling almost in quotation marks when I say I wrestled for Stampede Wrestling. Because mm-hmm. the Stampede Wrestling I worked for it doesn't get held in the same regard, you know, as the Stampede Wrestling that folded in the, in the mid and late 80s there. So, yeah, it's when people say, like, Stampede Wrestling, I mean, one thing is, the cool thing is it's that held in that high regard that that's the people, that's what comes to people's mind. So I think the answer is, you know, you kind of smile and say, well, nothing was like that wrestling. But yeah, you know, pro wrestling like that, you know, with a, with a modern twist on it. It's, a, it's the, a tough thing to answer. Yeah, one of my big regrets, and you and I have talked about this, uh, was that I never got a chance to work for eat like that Stampede reboot, just because like I grew up in Calgary, I grew up on Stampede, and and like you always told me, you know, it wasn't the same as it was, but I still always wanted to kind of have that on my resume, just you know, for the sake of saying I worked for Stampede Wrestling. Well, there there was definitely that um, romance that went with it. I mean, whenever I went somewhere and there were new people around the locker room, I went out to Vancouver one time and, and trained with the crew out there. And there was definitely an aura that people felt you had when, when it said like, oh, this is, you know, this is Duke Durango. He trained at the dungeon. People immediately showed you a little bit more respect mm-hmm. or, you know, this is Duke Durango. He, you know, he worked in Stampede Wrestling you know, for, for a long time, you do get a little more respect. There's, there's some prestige that comes along with it for sure. And I don't want to minimize that because it was really, it was a straight up privilege to train in the dungeon and to work in that, in the, in the Stampede wrestling ring. And I mean, the ring we wrestled in was the TV ring that you saw every Saturday in the pavilion. That was mm-hmm. the one they left set up in Calgary all the time. So to me, I mean, to, to think of who, if you did nothing else in the business, but wrestled in that ring, that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're going to go to your first track. Uh, for those of you maybe new or uninitiated, uh, a big love of mine besides the professional wrestling industry is music. And I thought it'd be kind of a neat idea for a podcast to have the folks I'm chatting with pick a couple of songs they like, and we will, you know, listen to those songs and we'll, we'll talk about them. And the first one you sent me, uh, was a track card ship, a track called shipyard tough, by an artist named Ashley George. It's got kind of like an East Coasty sort of a deal to it. And you've always had interesting picks whenever you do the podcast. Tell me a bit about this song and why you picked it. Well, yeah, man, that's actually and a it can't new be release more from... different than the other song you pick, which I think is really cool. You went kind of different <laughs> ends of the spectrum, which is cool. But we'll get to that later. Yeah, you bet. Uh, what? Sorry, Shipyard Tufts actually a song by my friend Ashley George. He just released it here recently. And, and to me, it's a real sort of telltale what the east coast lifestyle is like you know sort of as the shipyard goes so goes the economy on a certain level mm-hmm. um and it affects the way you live and we've got to commute you know an hour an hour and a half each way you know from halifax to picto where ashley's from um so you can go weld all day and then try and get home and see your kids before they get to bed or you end up just renting you know a closet or a quote-unquote room in Halifax for the weekend and coming home on the weekends to see your family and, you know, try and play your music and do the things you love. It, it breeds a particular toughness in you. And, and I think that those of us who, you know, as young guys and, and even us old guys that went up and down the highway as independent wrestlers or like yourself as independent, you know, commentators, referees, and ring announcers, it, it builds a toughness, especially here in Western Canada where, you know, we've experienced last week or so, you know, driving basically on skating rinks back and yeah. forth between Calgary and Edmonton. And, and I think it builds, you know, you could call it shipyard tougher, you can call it indie wrestling tough. And I think the song really sums it up. 
Yeah, it's there's some dicey drives on Highway 2 over the years, absolutely. Uh, okay, so this is Duke Durango's first pick. This is Ashley George, the track is Shipyard Tough on the Punk and Pod Drivers Podcast. We got bills to pay and we got kids to feed. We got bills to pay and we got kids to feed. Cause I've been through hell and back, picked out of Halifax, trying to put food onto tables. I'm rolling up leaves and laying down beads, some days I feel mentally unstable. Cause there's a price we'll pay. Respirators on the faces Gouging and grinding on the daily Pressure washing halls Slip strips and falls And everyone's smiling on payday Cause it's the price We'll pay to lay our heads And we hug And we pull When it's rough One hell of a man I see you up in heaven With the rescue plan And we hug And we pump When it's rough We get tough It's shit we are tough It's smoke That we breathe Sparks and the burns through the sleeves It's enough be our tub We got bills to pay Now we got kids to feed We got bills to pay Now we got kids to feed We got bills to pay We got kids to feed We got bills to pay We got kids to that was Duke Durango's first pick, uh, Shipyard Tough, by Ashley George on the Punk and Proud Rivers podcast. Uh, last night, uh, Love Pro Wrestling did the uh, Oil Rumble over at Rogers Place. Uh, and I, I, I rode 
home with uh, uh, Michael the Fitz Fitzpatrick, who you know and love. And we were actually we were chatting about you and you know just about like how the locker rooms have changed over the years and the guys that we miss. And he told me a story that that popped me. I don't know if I've ever heard this story before, but he said the only time that he ever like kind of cracked and 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 laughed in the ring is, is you were jawing with a female fan, and you told her that you were going to guess her weight. And you said, oh. I think you are one <laughs> fat bitch. And I think, like, it's, and I, I laughed because it's funny, but I also thought at the same time that I don't know if that would fly now. So, like, do you think, like, could, it, well, could 1997 <sighs> Duke Durango be 2024 Duke Durango? I don't know if I'm explaining that in the right way again. No, I 100% get what you say. I do, you know what? I, I don't know. Um, first of all, that was one of the very few times I actually said that joke to a female. Um, to be honest with you, I, and people may or may not believe this, I work male and female fans differently because female fans take things home with them. It's funny they take it more personally. So I would often be a little more cautious with the things I'd say to them. Um, at most, if they were call me fat or ugly or something, I might call them gay. You know, with the with the joke that there's two kinds of women chicks that are into me and, and lesbians. <laughs> um so and again i mean that's 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 a joke but even that i don't know if that would necessarily fly at ringside today in in the, in the climate even though i would still say because i don't kind of can't cancel me because i don't give a shit right mm-hmm. um but at the same time i mean that that joke i generally told to men to be honest with you that was literally one of the one maybe the one time i said it to a female um most time i would guess a guy's weight at one and i mean you gotta really sell this joke for us i mean like you're gonna look at the guy and be like Hey, I've been, and this guy's probably 350, 400 P, right? You don't do this to a skinny person. <laughs> and and so when you start the joke, you say you're about one. And that guy has, that guy's weight hasn't started with a one since like sixth or seventh grade. Right. So <laughs> he knows you're full of shit. So he's, you're going to go, you're about one. And he's going to go, you're not even close. And you go one fat bastard. And it's one of the best jokes ever. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what year it is. It's hilarious. <laughs> Did you ever say anything that that you regretted? No, No. because I never. (laughs) No, and the reason is like I never said anything racist. You know what I mean? And I can honestly say that I never said anything racist. I never said anything out of the realms. Like I mean, I would as a heel, I would would call somebody stupid or I'd call them ugly. You know, if things like that. But I mean, those are the things. Those are general heel things, anyways. You know, shut up, ugly things like that. but at the same time, I never, I definitely never threw down that hard on fans. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just don't think it was necessary. And if you had to do that, I think you were doing it wrong. And I don't want to judge anybody for the way they work. But quite frankly, I was, I hope I was intelligent enough. I didn't have to resort to things. There's one thing that, I mean, even one time I yelled at a lady. Um, I was in the crowd and this, for whatever reason, my wife was sitting behind this lady. And my wife came to a lot of shows and she heard me talk a lot of nasty trash. And she never really reacted to anything I ever said until she was sitting behind a lady and the lady was holding a baby in swaddle. And I actually never saw the baby, but I was cutting, I was cutting a promo and I said, you know, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the promo, I pointed at her and I said, yeah, you and your ugly baby lady. And my (laughs) wife put her hands up to her mouth in shock. Uh. And so I got, I get in the back, right? You know, I, I have my match, I get in the back and there's guys like Michael Allen and Richard Clark's waiting at the, at the curtain for me. And he's like, Hey man, did you tell that lady she had an ugly baby? <laughs> 
And I'm like, yeah, but, and the best part for me, Boris, I never saw the baby. I literally never saw the baby. I saw that she had a baby. I never saw the baby. Excellent. So I get home from the show and my wife, I don't even make it out of the garage. Like I get my gear out of my car, close my trunk and my wife stand at the garage door. <laughs> and she's like, you should not have told that lady she had an ugly baby. <laughs> but you know what? I've told the story a lot. I've gotten a lot of mileage out of it and I have no regrets. I would tell that lady she had an ugly baby every day and twice on Sunday. So like they talk about cheap heat, but you know, cheap heat kind of works. Um, and like, I think cheap heat in, in, again, like 1997, 1987 compared to now is very different. Do you think, and this might be a dumb question. I, I just second guess myself and everything I do and say, do you think it's harder <laughs> to get heat now than maybe it would have been back in those days? Because you can't be as cheap with some of the stuff you just can't say. And you, know, you can go to like local sports teams and stuff like that. But do you think it's a bit more difficult? No, I don't. Like, I think you have to be a little guys bit creative. Can be smart and get heat, you know, the smart way because they're talented guys. But somebody who's maybe a layman or somebody new or doesn't really quite know what they're doing, and they, you know, they're going to resort to something cheap just because they know it's going to work. Maybe a little harder. Well, no, because I mean, even there was never really a time when it was okay. Like I mean, I, and here's a for example: you, our good friend the Highlander, um, he's about to have his first match. And he's talking to Tiger Khan and I, and he says, you know, what do I do to get heat? And I said, just go out there, find the cutest little kid, tell him to shut up. The crowd will immediately get on you and you'll just, you just go from there. You'll figure it out. So he's like, okay. So his music hits, he walks out the front door, the curtain, the first fan says something and he throws up both middle fingers and yells F you at the crowd. Now, immediately the crowd knew who the heel was. <laughs> But that obviously wasn't the information we parlayed to him. No. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, it, it, like I say, everyone's going to have to find their way, but there was never really a time when it was okay to walk out, throw up two fingers, and tell the crowd to F you, right? Steve Austin got away with it, but that was Steve Austin. Um, so, was that okay? Absolutely not. And that was in 1997, 98 maybe, right? So, I mean, I... I Look, man, some of the language people use, like, you know, racial slurs and things like that, that used to go around with the, especially with independent wrestling back in the 80s and shit, that never flew. You know, I remember one of our um, veterans, and I'm not going to name any names and sue or anybody here, kind of started a, a pretty rough chant against me, the great gamma. Yeah. Oh, I would definitely tell you off, off the air. Excellent. Um, and started started a pretty rough chant against one of our ethnic minorities on the show. And I remember sitting in the locker room looking at somebody else and saying, are they chanting blah, blah, blah? And saying, it's, it's fucking 2000. What is he doing? Do you know what I mean? So when, even when I was breaking in, you, you, that shit wasn't acceptable anymore. Right now, I mean, mom jokes, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. Mom jokes are hilarious in any era. Mm-hmm. So, and that was my cheap heat, really and truly. If somebody said something about my mom, I would go back and forth with them all day. That was my cheap heat, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, but one of my favorite things in the world, like there's a room, there's room for some cheap heat, right? Like if you're a baby face and you're cutting that promo, and you can't do it all the time, right? But there's always a place for like I'm gonna whoop your ass right here in front of all these people. I love that cheesy promo, mm-hmm. you know. But I don't, I don't think it's harder, man. And, and to your point, um for the less talented or the green, if you will, 
either A, you figure it out, or B, go find something to do. But it shouldn't be easy. It's not easier or harder to draw heat. You either can draw heat or you can't. You know, one of the one of the things I think, and this one might get me in trouble with today's Ute. Um, I think they're too sensitive about the kind of heat they draw, right? So I think, I think, and I've seen this in my in my generation too. So I don't want to come across like it's just today's guys um, and gals. But I think in a lot of cases, people want to be a heel because they think it's more fun. And quite frankly, it is easier to be a good heel than it is to be a good babyface. That's mm-hmm. the truth. Um, but at the same time, you either have it to be a good heel or you don't, just like you have it to be a good babyface or you don't. I don't feel I had it to be a good babyface. It just wasn't. I'm a natural heel. Um, but believe me, I would have loved to have sold T-shirts and pictures. It just you know, it just wasn't in the cards for me. Um, but at the same time, I mean, people want people want to work heel because it's fun to talk trash and, and be the bad guy. But everybody wants to be the cool heel that the fans cheer for. Yeah. So when the fans actually boo today's heel, they kind of don't know how to react. I think that's you know what I mean. I don't. Sure. Yeah, I don't think they understand that booze the cheer you're looking for, kid. You know, like it's, mm-hmm. you know, I never ever like one time I was talking to somebody about all the booing and the things people would say to me, and she was saying like, how do you expel that negative energy though? When people are are spouting that stuff at you, and I would say because I just spout it right back, right? Those fans pay their twenty or twenty five bucks. To me, the way I look at it, to say whatever they want to you within the realms of reason. And as long as there's not little kids around, you can swear at me. I don't get bothered and I won't swear back. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Having said that, I'm going to take my 150 bucks or whatever, and I'm going to say whatever I want back to you as long as it's in the realms of reasonable taste, not using poor language and things like that. At the very most, I might tell you your mom makes good scrambled eggs. You know what I mean? Like that's, you know, if that's as hard as it gets for you, and, you know, and again, if you can't go as hard as your mom or tell your mom, I want my underwear back. And if you can't use that little bit to get the heat you need, you go do something else. So last night at the Oil Rumble, um, it was kind of like a wrestling theme night at the Oil Kings game. And it's something else that I've noticed. And and I, I think I, I, I'm too close to it. And I think that's why I like I, I, I analyze things. And I, I I let them not bother me, but like I think about them because the 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 announcer at the Oil Kings game was constantly doing like Hulk Hogan impressions and Macho Man impressions, and I think it 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 makes me think like when you see a commercial for any kind of product where they're doing like a wrestling angle, like a wrestling themed commercial, like say for a, a Subway sandwich, and you've got the wrestler in his tights and he's cutting that like old eighties promo and it just makes me think like it's it's a little reductive to pro wrestling i think that it pigeonholes it and i think you know that's what it it was and that's what it still is but it's also so much more than that and i i don't know i don't again i'm not explaining it but i just think sometimes it's very reductive to to kind of that 80s over the top let me tell you something brother thing when when it can be so much more nuanced than that well i think it's more of a tell on that person's ignorance than anything. And I'm um, not saying they're being ignorant. It's just, it's just like those guys were big, you know, Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan, and those guys were absolutely the biggest stars in the world. And yeah. Memorable, but would and that's you, why they're memorable, you know, but would you walk up to Metallica and start doing an Elvis impression? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, there's, like those guys were great. And I mean, you, I, if we're talking entertainer and guys that sold t-shirts, Hulk Hogan's probably the biggest of all time. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's the name everybody knows, or you know, the Stone Colds or the Rocks, 
that those are the names that, that get associated with the business is, is okay with me. But I do appreciate what you're saying when we've worked so hard and there's so many, there's so much more to it and it's reduced down to, to a catchphrase, right? Like it, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like, I yeah, no, and I get I, it. I, imagine I if, imagine if you were in theater and every time you saw somebody and told them you were in theater, they'd just go, Oh, Romeo, Romeo. Exactly. Laugh, yeah. Oh, thou Romeo. You know, it's the cheesiest shit ever, as far as you're concerned. Like, I want to, I want to probably bother you at some point, even though Shakespeare's a genius, not to diminish that. (laughs) I want to take some of these people. I want to show them like the old ECW uh, uh, Mick Foley hardcore, anti-hardcore promos, where I want to show them uh, one of my favorite promos of all time was when CM Punk was in a ring of honor feuding with Raven and he was, you know, just head dripping with blood, screaming about how Raven reminds him of his alcoholic father and how he grew up thinking that was normal. And just like, there's layers of the onion you can peel back. Whereas, you know, it's, it's, let me tell you something, brother. And again, it's, it's there because it's, 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 it's like yippee kaye motherfucker. It's, it's woven into the fabric of, of what the business is, but I just wish that, you know, they could expand into some of these other things that we have to offer. Well, I mean, I heard it. The thing is, when people look at pro wrestling, they attack it. It's a bully always attacks something at its weakest point. And I so don't people don't being, understand. Don't get me wrong; they weren't being disrespectful at all. They were no, celebrating no. Well, the business, but it's just it's a pigeonhole that little tiny part they're celebrating. A, well, in a, in the cheesiest possible way, right? I mean, even if you said somebody like, "Oh, I like pro wrestling," and all they did was look at you and go, "Woo," you know, I mean, there's 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 more to it. And I think when people say like debate, you know, they say, "Well, it's it's fake because it's not competition." Well. Have you ever been in a locker room and tried working your way to the top of a roster? <laughs> Don't even try and tell me that's not competitive, right? I remember the, right? Like, I didn't keep a lot of stuff from my career, and it's one of the few things I regret about my career. But, I like, the first time I was on a main event, that meant something because I started at the bottom of the, you know, it started not even on the poster. And then I was at the bottom of the poster. And then I was on the main event of the poster. And that didn't happen by accident. That happened because I worked my ass off to get to the top. Mm-hmm. So don't tell me it's not competitive. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, we, we learn how to break fall. And yeah, we put the matches together in the back. But that doesn't mean we're not really at a lot of points hitting each other. That doesn't mean we're not slamming each other. When guys are getting slammed on the concrete, especially at independent shows, people see mats on WWE and don't realize at independent shows, guys are getting slammed and suplexed on the concrete for 50 bucks. Show those guys the respect. Don't attack it at its weakest point. With a with a woo or a or a brother, you know, a brother. If you want to talk to somebody about it, say, "Hey, geez, you know, the last thing I remember about pro wrestling is, you know, Hulk Hogan's, you know, you know, prayers, prayers, milk and vitamins, brother." That's the last thing I knew. How much has changed? Like, you know what I mean? Like, ask more about what's going on today. Don't just, you know, harken back to like I say. You don't you don't roll up on on the, today's Metallica fan and start singing Elvis songs. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go to your second track, a a vast departure from your first track. And I was kind of surprised by this one. You chose uh, Brass Monkey by the Beastie Boys, a, a classic Beastie Boys track. Explain to me where this came from in the psyche of the Dirty One. So, I mean, the Beastie Boys take me all the way back to myself. And whether a lot of people know this or not, and so I'm going to throw a name out there. Some people may know, but myself and Pistol Pollock, we went to junior high school together. We've known each other since we were kids. Um, we went to junior high school together and wrestled in junior high school, high school together after high school, got into pro wrestling together. And, you know, I was chatting with him a little bit over the holiday 
just, you know, just how she going and, and happy new year and happy holidays. And I was looking at a beastie boys book on my shelf that my daughter bought me for Christmas a few years ago. And I just started kind of listening and, you know, brass monkey and girls were kind of two of those songs that if you listen to by the beastie boys, they're not the most serious songs, but like brass monkey is one of the most entertaining songs. And it's just a fun, and it just makes you smile. And it takes me back to, I hate to say it, but, you know, driving around with Pistol Pollock and his, and his mom's 86 Ford Escort, you know, smoking joints and causing trouble. As the only dirty Duke Durango can do. <laughs> uh, this is the DC Boys. This is Brass Monkey, Omnipunk, and Paul Driver's Podcast. Brass Monkey, that monkey monkey. Brass Monkey, chunky, that monkey monkey. Pick number two from Dirty Duke Durango on the Punk and Proud of His Podcast. Um, are you doing any more like acting or improv or plays or anything like that? I know there was some stuff that you had done previously, but I, I haven't really touched base with you on this. Yeah, no, I mean, that was stuff. You know, I was doing this specifically. There was a guy called Alan LaBeouf who used to come to, started out a Stampede shows and then PWA shows later, um, who had an autistic daughter that I, you know, her and I developed a little special. I'd high five her on the way to the ring all the time. And I actually went to see her in a fashion show and went to her birthday party one year. So I got to know her family a little bit. And Alan, Alan, the buff was her dad and he wrote a play and actually asked me to be in the play. And that's how I ended up in my first play. And he cast me as the lead. Um, and so that's how I did the first one. The second one, I don't remember if he wrote it, but I know he was kind of casting it and producing it. And so insisted I come out and in that, in that play, I played a 
kind of a little closer character. Like both the first play, I was a wrestler in a play called Love on the Ropes. Um, and the second one, I was a bill collector in a thing called For Mature Audiences Only. When I say bill collector, I thought basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, but I mean, I felt, here's the thing, man. I was not, I don't feel I was real good at acting. It didn't come real natural to me. Um, and people say, well, when you're wrestling, you're acting. And that's true, but it's still just me turned up to 11. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have to play, you know, John the English bill collector. I'm, you know, Duke Durango, the pain in the neck. Um, so and those words are my words and they are improv you know to your kind of comment earlier and it's all kind of improv and some of it's shtick you know some of it's you know pre-recorded pre-recorded shtick that you know will work to get you over and, and some people might even consider that cheap cheap pete right mm-hmm. um but you know i mean it horrified me being in acting because i was always scared to forget the lines and it when i the people i acted with were very professional and they didn't have somebody off the stage that would yell your line to you okay so if somebody forgot their lines and you're like me and weren't experienced enough to to help it like one time one of our our first what they call off book is when you you know you go off book you stopped using your script on stage you're not reading your lines anymore and it was myself and this other guy on stage for the first you know kind of 10 or 15 minutes of this play just the two of us and he blew his line so bad and i had no idea how to get it back and it went to a total disaster i mean it was I've never been more embarrassed in my life. Yeah. And then another lady came on stage and I thought, okay, I know when she comes on stage, her lines, this, my lines, this will be back on track. She didn't even do what she was supposed to do. Oh, wow. Do you know what I mean? When she came up, so the wheels completely fell off. And so that's kind of near the end of the first act. I go storming off stage when my character supposed to leave and I'm in the back and I'm not thinking they can hear me out front. And apparently they can hear me out on stage screaming, what the F was that? I've never been so fucking embarrassed in my life. This is what the what is wrong with you people? How do you let somebody twist out in the breeze like that? What the hell? And so when the first act ended, the, the director, writer, Alan, called us out on the stage. And he's kind of saying, like, hey, that was the shits. And so I just kind of tell the people, I was like, hey, you guys better get your shit together here because I know my lines. And if you don't know yours and I'm that embarrassed, I will rip this building down brick by brick. I will not be that embarrassed doing this. Get your shit together. Mm-hmm. And so somebody pulled me aside and said, Hey, everyone probably needed to hear that from you. Cause I was the lead and didn't know what I was doing. Right. So at least let them know that I gave a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, what I also figured out is this guy, somebody else came to me and told me, look, that guy's famous for kind of knowing where his lines are supposed to go, but not knowing his lines. So kind of be mm-hmm. prepared to have to pull him. So what I ended up doing is once I knew that there was a bunch of legal papers on the desk, cause I think he was a lawyer or something. And what I did is I basically laid the script on the desk. So I would mix it in with these papers. So when I, when it would come time to the lines, I literally had the script sitting in, in a pile of paper so I could pull him back in. Yeah, what's like the drama version or the onstage version of, of grabbing a hold, you know? What's the, oh, the drama version? I'm just going to take this headlock and we're going to settle down and we're going to get through this. Oh, man, the one time <laughs> I, I blew my line so hard, I just, I, um, I, it was the second play I was in and I'd gone through yeah, and I'm not going to say everyone, but I think all of us through the whole week, somebody had a botch somewhere. You know what I mean? And we're doing the last night, and I was, I man, I hit every high spot through the week. I was rolling right along. And the very last night, I turned to a guy, and I have a line, and I, you know, I wish I could remember what the line was. And I just stood there and pointing at him, and I kept just kind of shaking my finger at him. And within about three shakes, he and everybody else knew I didn't know the line and started laughing. And then whoever knew their line was next after mine just picked it up and off we mm-hmm. went. 
but it was yeah it was just kind of like oh sure the last night i blow the line you know and that's so, got to be yeah. an absolutely nerve-wracking feeling too right and that's a, that's kind of what i was saying like when nobody gives you that line i was always waiting to shit the bed because i just wasn't confident that mm-hmm. do you, you want to do and more I've, of that are you looking to, for, for more, uh, more work i that, don't or? i don't think so you know, because I don't, I'm going to be dead honest. I'm really enjoying, you know, so for 20 years and, and then you can attest to the kind of the lifestyle as well, you know, for 20 years, you can't really plan anything on the weekends because you're all your time's taken up wrestling and, and, or preparing to be at wrestling or something like mm-hmm. that. Right. So now that I'm at a point in my life where I, where I can have weekends and I can for sure say, yeah, I'm coming to your birthday party or yeah, I'm coming to your anniversary. Um, that's something that's really important to me now. And I'm really enjoying kind of getting those, those kind of weekend fun things in my, in my life. It's, you know, part of me is tired because I, my wife and I have a very busy social life, but at the same time, like if you want to see me, I think my next free Saturday might be the end of February. You know what I mean? Like it's, we've got, yeah, I've got a very, very full schedule. So yeah, I'm, I'm really am. I love, I love to say like as much as I miss wrestling, I really and truly am, man. I'm living my best life. Like I'm, I'm really in a good spot right now. So you're now like the social butterfly, Duke Durango. Well, it's more my wife. I mean, I'm still <laughs> kind of, you know, persona non grata at most places, but you know, she's a really nice lady and gets invited places. So at least I, you know, I get to be the plus one. Are you on your best behavior? Not usually. Um, <laughs> I, I try to say at least one thing embarrassing or at the, at the very least, I'll ask her to pull out the list of mean things I say to her. Because she keeps a list of it. Oh, good. So, can I get a yeah. copy of that? Well, I've got the 2021 list on my phone. She won't send me 2022 or 2023 <laughs> yet. You know, but there's good things on there. You know, I mean, one time she was saying something about what she wanted around the house, and I kind of let her know, like, hey, this ain't the government. You don't have equal rights up in here. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. These are the things your wife loves. Yes. Speaking of things that can't get over in 2024. Fair enough. But you're you're glad you did the acting though. Yeah. Like you you take away positives from that. Absolutely, man. It was really fun, and I I really did gain, gained a really new respect for people, especially stage actors. You know what I mean? Like where you're you're just out there. You know, it's a, kind of like a pro wrestling spot. You're out there, warts and all. You've got you know, forty five minutes, and in, in their case, they've got you know an hour, two hours. But you know, you've got an X amount of time to tell your story. And these are your lines and this is your story and, and you got to do your best you can to get it across. And if you blow one spot, you can't go back, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's live theater. So in that respect, the adrenaline from it was pretty cool because it, it is kind of a rush. But at the same time, I mean, if you're an experienced theater person, it's probably better. But for me, man, it was just like, it was like driving 200 miles an hour with no brakes. Like it was just, it was so scary for me. Are you watching any of the wrestling on the TV these days? Is it like, you, do you just still try to keep up with what's going on a little bit? I, you know, I do. I, you know, what's funny is I'll probably watch about 45 minutes to an hour of each show. Cause I, you know, I'll start watching through the week and I'll watch here and there. And then, you know, the next thing it's the next Monday and I'll sort of like delete the last one and record the next one thinking I'll watch that. And, um, you know, it's, um, as much as it's changed, it's still the same. <laughs> well, that's what I was saying yeah. the other day. I was talking to, 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 to the girlfriend and I, I was, I had the, like a, one of the most weird epiphanies and I'm like, what's what I love about pro wrestling yeah. and what makes it so great is you can go from like a show, like an LPW show or like a little indie in 
in like a, a, a banquet hall or in a, like a veterans hall or like a gritty little warehouse with 50 people all the way up to WrestleMania, but it's the same shit. It's guys in a ring trying to get a reaction and trying to pack a house and make a little bit of money. Like, and that's what I think is beautiful. Kind of like, like, like a band, you can have like a big giant stadium Rolling Stones concert and you can have some grungy punk band in a bar with 10 people, but it's still the same thing. The guys pick up their guitars, they play music. And I think that's one of the, like, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Well, it's the passion is the same. Do you know what I mean? Or at least you hope it is. You know, like a lot of, like, you know, for us guys that worked in PWA for all those years, you know, Night of Champions was our WrestleMania, basically, or the mm-hmm. anniversary show. And for Kurt, you know, for, for Kurt, Halloween was his WrestleMania. <laughs> um, so, I mean, and we all geared everything up to those nights and we all, those nights when we knew we were going to have a packed house, wanted to tear the house down. And I think, that no matter like to your point, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, the same amount of passion comes through, you know, whether Seth Rollins is headline in WrestleMania or, you know, Michael Richard blaze is headline in night of champions or sorry, um, you know, LPW's next mm-hmm. live show, the same passion is there and they want, they want to entertain the fans just as badly, you know? And I think, I think a lot of people, fans now look at the WWE and say, well, they're not as passionate as the guys on the indie. And I don't think it's that they're not as passionate. I think that they have more constraints than the guys on the Indies, right? They Fair. have somebody telling Definitely them what agree. they can and can't do. So, you know, the, the the bridles are on those guys, so to speak. But I really think, you know, if you could go to Seth Rollins and and take, you know, just take all the all the chains off and say, hey, do anything you want out there. I think you'd see, I think you'd still see Seth Rollins doing what he's doing. I think you'd still see him doing the same thing because it gets over, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, one of my problems with AEW is that the guys are so, so good. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're <laughs> so good. They can all do the moves so well. And, I mean, athletically, most of them are at a place I never dreamed of getting to. Um, but they don't know how to use those moves to tell the story. And I think that's the big difference when people say, what's the difference between WWE and AEW? It's simply the storytelling and the matches. You know what I mean? And it's um, AEW's roster is so talented, but I just think that the storytelling gets lost in putting together dream matches all the time. Yeah, I think the philosophies of those two companies are very, very different. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the other thing too, and not to go too hard on AEW, because at the same time, um, WWE is kind of in the same spot where, you know, if AEW really thinks their way is the way, their their viewer base hasn't gone up since the day they started. Mm-hmm. You know, they started at, at, at between eight hundred thousand and one point one million on average, and they're you know I'm not going to talk about what their B shows because I find that a little embarrassing for them. But um, when their A shows only drawn, you know what I watch more than anything, Mike, are the ratings because that tells mm-hmm. me everything I need to know about what's going on. Um, and when I see that their viewership hasn't changed in in five years, there, there's something there. On the same side of that coin where the WWE, you know, their B show draws 1.3, 1.4 million and their A shows drawn, you know, in excess of 2.2 and 2.3 million. Um, but not growing. Do you know what I mean? So they're, while they're drawing way more, that number still isn't going up. So, yeah. I mean, it's easy for me to say they're doing it better because their number is better, but the number still isn't going up either way. So, Fair you know, enough. but I also think wrestling is in an upswing right now. You know, I mean, when you look at... Um, 
the reports on the indies and stuff. I mean, that's the kind of what I use as my metric. How many indies are out there? How many indies are running shows consistently? How many, you know, how many of the same indies? How many healthy companies are there out there running consistent shows? And I think the business is, is in a pretty good spot right now. Yeah, I think the next, like the rest of this calendar year is going to be really, really interesting to see how it turns out. Because I think independent wrestling is very healthy right now. Uh, like TV yeah. cable wrestling is maybe, I don't want to say stagnant, but like I don't watch a lot of it just because it doesn't really pique my interest. and and It and, doesn't resonate with you anymore. Exactly. And not to say that yeah. it's bad because sometimes I'll tune in little things and I'll try to watch papers and stuff. But like it's not appointment viewing for me anymore. Yeah, no, and that, and that's what I say. Like it's it's kind of got, it's kind of got something for everyone, but not enough for anyone. Fair. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's you know, it's just a sprinkling of what I want to see. Like it's you know, so WWE, I want to see those dream matches. I want to see a storytelling. I want to see a, a good program leading up to it. But then I want to see the handcuffs come off and see what those guys can really do and let them tell their own story. Fair. You know what I mean? All right, so, yeah. Durango, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I'm staring down the barrel of a pulled pork sandwich, so I'm going to let you go. All right, my man. But uh, it is always a pleasure when our paths cross, and I hope that they can cross in person at some point. Uh, next time uh, I'm down uh, down south, I will, uh, well, I'll look you up. My people yes, will call I... your people. We'll do lunch. We better. I will... <laughs> lunch is on me, sir. All right? Oh, even better. <laughs> uh, right, any, any last parting words or any social media plugs or any bullshit you want to say you want to guess my weight or whatever you yeah you know what i'm not going to plug me at all i want to plug you know and again i don't go to shows or anything but i just want to say um you know to love pro wrestling and um oh the name just escaped me the other one um top talent um keep doing what you guys are doing you know i can tell that everybody involved in those projects is extremely passionate you know, I'm watching our audiences grow mm-hmm. and, um, you know, all I hear and see are good things. And I just think that, you know, Spencer Love in particular has the kid's so passionate. I just love everything he's, he's done and he's doing for the business and, um, with the rosters, those guys have, and, you know, they kind of just keep walking forward and, and just keep doing what you're doing. Cause you guys seem to be doing all the things. Yeah. We're doing, we're doing cool stuff and we're having a lot of fun. Yeah. And that's what, that's what matters, man. All right. You know, I... and last, hold on one last cheesy thing. Okay. If the pursuit of the dream is really your passion, in a lot of cases, the pursuit will be enough, even if you never reach the dream. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Inspirational words. Uh, I didn't think ahead enough to pick a song uh, uh, for us to go out to uh, specifically this week. So I'm just going to, you know, when we're done here, I'm just going to pick something that I like. So we're going to go out to a song that I like by a band that I care for. Uh, I do have a bunch of audio that I recorded back in the locker room area before and after the Oil Rumble, like some guerrilla podcasting. That's going to be up very, very soon. Uh, I'm working on uh, Bayrock Garani and Sheikak Barshabaz joining me for a little tag team discussion coming over the future. So definitely stick around, and we will talk to you guys all next week. We got problems, yes, songs about to make stop and hate your friends. New York show, stand face, touch now. Hate your friends. We got problems you can't solve. It's enough to make us stop to hate your friends. The ocean is dead face. Touch now. Hate your friends. Your face is blushing. Your temperature is rising. Drink some silly. There's no use disguising that you hate your friends.